Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and my partner Scott Lease is not here with us, um, which is uh, uh, unfortunate as we talk about this episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors of Wingman, Lead 411, Vidyard, and of course Salesforce Revenue Cloud. And our guest today is actually from Salesforce. She's the SVP of, sale, of Marketing Sales, SVP Marketing Sales Cloud at Salesforce. Carrie Brooks. So thank you so much for, for finding some time to be with us. We, we know you're, you're one of those people who we think is always really busy. So thank you. No worries. I'm, uh, I'm excited to do this. It's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. So, you know, as I, as I look at your background and, and, you know, do a little bit of research, you don't have a traditional background in the marketing, right? You, no. you sort of stumbled into this in a very different way, which is a little bit like sales. Like a lot of salespeople, don't really, you know, I'm going to be in sales. <laughs> so what is your background? How did you get here? Um, how did I get here? Yeah. Uh, it's a story I, I always ask myself, actually. But, um, well, it started with uh, literally my first job out, out, out of university. I worked for Unilever, and I went into their management training program, and I worked in finance. I worked as an accountant and loved it, loved budgeting and planning, loved doing financial reporting. I know that's really um, probably very difficult for most marketers and salespeople to understand, but I actually really like budgeting. Um, and then uh, my second job was pretty much the same. Um, I worked for Novartis, but it had a little difference in that we had to implement about five different systems for finance. And so I pretty much spent two years writing checks and implementing software. And one of the one of the pieces of software that we implemented was from a company called Hyperion. And I remember speaking with a consultant and I was like, that job looks really fun. I'm like, I love the planning. I love the technology. I love this bridge between finance and IT, but I don't want to sit in the same office every day. And so I applied for a job at Hyperion as a consultant and got it and ran consulting for a little bit. Ran so so I'm going to I'm going to pause. In the way you're describing it, was the consultant really a salesperson? Um, I would say it's actually it was proper implementation, like so like almost like customer success. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes, we would call that customer success. So, yeah. what about so aside from the fact that you're bridging these gaps, right? And you met this person who I I, I assume just had a great personality too. Yeah. What about the role? drew you in from behind the desk like you know what it was was um first of all i was you know young right yeah. and i love to travel i've traveled since i was a very small child so just the job itself and being at different companies every day but i'll tell you the the, the best thing about it and this is how i got into marketing was i was the person that i was selling to I was the person that I was marketing to. I was the person who I was implementing software for. And so I knew what it was like being the accountant, you know, sitting in the dark room, trying to reconcile spreadsheets over a weekend. Like I'd lived it, I'd been there. And so when I first moved into marketing um, with Hyperion, it was like, it was a, it was a joy because all, all I would do is speak to people who were like me. Right. And, and right. that's the easiest marketing job to have. Right. It's really easy. You know, we sell, we sell sales cloud. Right. Right. And the, our salespeople speak from their own personal experience. And so I think it was just that empathy of speaking to accountants and CFOs and really understanding what they did and why they did it. It just, yeah. it got, it, that was what was great for me because it was my, it was my world. Those were my peeps, you know? Right. And that's, I'm so glad you said it because that's, that's the piece, right? It doesn't matter what job you have, love what you do, right? And you're lucky, like in many ways, like you loved accounting, you loved planning. So you found a job in that world. I did. And then all of a sudden, here's something new. Here's a, here's a green light to tell you to go forward in a different direction. And you love that too. Right? Yes. Um, and I love your point of selling to who, you, you know, to you. Yeah. Like some of my favorite salespeople I've ever hired have been teachers. And actually, it was funny in that in that technology company, even the salespeople were CPAs. Yeah, like it literally we call, we we called it the land of recovering accountants, right? Yes. Because 
we all wanted to do jobs with finance. We just didn't want to do finance, right? I totally agree. And that's it's crazy. So yeah, I ran a software company a long time ago before the cloud um, or as the cloud emerged that sold educational software to the schools. And our best salespeople were former teachers because they knew. Exactly. They knew. And even now I still hire former teachers. Like I try to, if I, if someone's asking me to recruit, I'm like, you're a teacher, you know, I think you might like this. And if they've got their, an outgoing personality, they have patience, they can explain things very simply yep. <laughs> for people. Yep. So, anyway, so I, lo- I love that you brought that up. I'm gonna and they can manage great. a bunch of eight-year-olds, which yeah, often yeah. sometimes work is the same as that. Exactly. You know, present company excluded, right? Of well, course, of course. Right. So um, we did talk about, like, I can't ask things to get you fired, so we'll avoid that. You know, who's the eight-year-old at Salesforce? Um, <laughs> I want to. I'm going to totally go off track. Yeah. Love to travel. What was What was your favorite and worst travel experience? Oh gosh. Um. So every every year, um, I do a big trip after Dreamforce, and I very often um, I'll travel with friends and to see family throughout the year. But my post Dreamforce trip after conversing with 120,000 people in San Francisco for a week is um, to be on my own. So generally my November, depending on doing post hits, but my November trip is, is on my own and it's somewhere big. And last year, uh, not, no, actually not last year, the year before, right. 2019, um, I had the joy of going to Bhutan. Oh, and it was, um, it's probably one of the quietest places on earth. It's one of the happiest places on earth. They actually measure their gross national happiness index. They do? Um, that's, yes, they actually, that's the measure of how their country is doing is then is their happiness index, not their, not their uh, domestic product, gross domestic product. It's, 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 and you see it everywhere. Right. No one, it was, I'll tell you one tiny thing about it that was just, just, summed it up no one um no one uh took their horn in the car unless it's actually there's danger ahead and so everyone's goes slower there's no traffic lights people are just like it, it's the most harmonious cu- country i've ever been to and after you can imagine after dreamforce right that's pretty that's pretty crazy that's epic what like, do you, so of course I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh my gosh, did she go try to figure out the algorithm for happiness? And is she going to bring that internal to Salesforce? <laughs> am I going to build it in Einstein? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, which isn't like, but that's also not a bad theory, but there's an example of like how things happen. What, um, how do you pick Bhutan? Like, how did you pick that country? Um, I've been, uh, I like, well, a long trip. I, you know, I like to go somewhere very, un, very unfamiliar to me. So I've been to India um, probably about seven or eight times in my life, both for work and for personal travel. And I'd read so much about Bhutan, um, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'll go up there um, from India. And it's, it's actually tourism is very much restricted. You have to get um, travel permits. You have to go through guides. And so it wasn't kind of a, oh, I'll just pop up there for a couple of days. Like it, it took, it took a, a long time to, to arrange. So it was just the unfamiliar. Like, I just want to be places that challenge me, right? It's like, it makes you, it just gives you a different perspective on life. And like in India, it's, it's so different than, than America or Britain, where, where I come from. And so it's just experiencing different people, different food. I'm a big foodie and um, I love my wine. And so anywhere where I can experience new foods is also kind of imperative. Um, and then just the culture, like the people, you know, right. I, I had this guide and, you know, he, he still WhatsApps me, you know, every couple of months just to oh, see how awesome. I am. You know, just, it was just, it was just a magical place So. That's, that's awesome. I want to go back to that part because I, I think there's a business aspect to this too. Like there's a pattern I saw of like, I don't know this new role, but that looks interesting to, I want to get uncomfortable and go somewhere unfamiliar. 
Yes. We, we, you know, if I if I were going to dial up and ask your mom and dad, is that is that some carry up pretty well? Yeah. Or? They. My mom would say, um, whenever she's having it easy, she will always find something hard. Um, so whenever when when anything kind of gets a little uh, routine or safe or you know, not and very familiar to me. I change. I change my job. I go to a different country. Like I moved to America 21 years ago, and I moved here after being offered a job after two months of being offered the job. Like I'm like literally, I'll be on a plane in two months. And so I think it's just that that um, you know that natural uh, need for something new. Yeah. Um, that 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 really drives me both absolutely at work um as well as uh as well as non-work yeah i love the i love the thought too because i i've enjoyed going to different places um and not knowing where i'm going in some cases some cases i do want to know where i'm going and there's something really zen about it right like and i can see look it was nine or plus months planning dreamforce it's three weeks of prep before dreamforce then there's the week of dreamforce and there's something really nice about getting so far away that the only thinking you have to do is like, where am I supposed to go for dinner? Correct. You know what I mean? Like, I totally get the Zen of that piece. Yeah. And, that, and is that why you do it that way? Yeah. And um, I've done trips where, uh, where I've traveled, like Bhutan, for example, my whole itinerary was, was, was there. And we actually amended it um, along the way a little bit. Right. But it was that, like I had the full brochure and from the from the tourist office and I had everything planned out. And then uh, a couple of times I've gone to India and just, you know, known that I was flying into Delhi, New Delhi, and then pretty much picked it from there. Yeah. So it's kind of like sometimes it, it's nice to have to actually know what you're doing the next day, but sometimes it's not, you know, and and with uh with Bhutan it was really nice because I'd been telling people or helping people or explaining to people for the nine months leading up to Dreamforce and it was really nice not to have to figure any of that out like yeah. I don't need a strategy I don't need content right <laughs> I and just got my guide <laughs> and there's and there's also a difference between you planning it out of like logistically here's my plane ticket to my hotel and here's my guide Versus what am I really going to do every single day, every single moment? Correct. Those are, yeah. those are two different yeah. things. Quickly, worst yeah. trip experience, worst you know, I've, I've been trying to like dual process as, as we were talking, because I'm just trying to think of a, like, a trip that was a, was a disaster. And even the ones where, like I fell off an electric mountain bike in Spain last year with my friends and really hurt both ankles and um, had a great trip to a Spanish hospital where they were really nice. And, you know, it could have been, that could have been the worst trip, but you know what I got to do is just sit by a pool and sunbathe and, you know, drink right. cocktails. And so, yeah, it was it like, yeah, it wasn't quite what I was going to do. You know, I didn't hop around museum or well, hop around. Huh? Um, I wasn't like, you know, going to museums every day and walking around towns. But hey, it was probably one of the most relaxing holidays that I've had. So even the even the even the crazy ones turn out good. Yeah. You look, even the trip to the hospital. Right. Like just as like experiencing <laughs> healthcare in a different country. You, so funny. You, right. And you've done it certainly in, in the UK, you've done it in the US and you've now done it in Spain. You know, of those three, is the US still number 10 and how bad <laughs> it is? <laughs> like... Well, I'm lucky, I, you know, with, 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 obviously with my job, I get, I get healthcare, but it was interesting when I moved over to the US. In, in the UK, we obviously have national health and then you can actually um, employers offer, you know, you can go private too, and right. the employer will pay some and you pay some very similar to here, but without, we obviously have the. So when I moved over here, I was like, I was filling in all my, you know, my new hire forms and everything and my benefits forms. And I said to, um, <laughs> I was saying to my boss, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to take the, you know, the private healthcare option. And he looked at me and he goes, what? 
And I said, well, yeah. you know, I, I like, I just need the emergency room if something happens and, and everything. And he's like, oh, no, 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 Carrie. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a big, like, oh, it's quite different here. Yeah. <laughs> you, Moment. I mean, and look, there's a thousand people, but I know he's been there forever. Do you happen to know Leon Markham? I do. So, Actually, he's a very good friend of mine. Yeah, he was a good friend when he lived here. Our kids went to kindergarten together and he and I became friends and he, he, you know, he had a bike accident here once and he, he was just overwhelmed by like the stupidity of our healthcare system, you know, and yes. so he really shared how it works in the UK. So. Yes. Yes. Right, I want to move into some business stuff. Like yes. that's really what we're here, but it's, yeah. it's always fun to get to know someone and, and hear something, you know, I would, I've never had a conversation about Bhutan and I certainly never knew about the happiness index. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sort of jump into the, to the obvious, right, which is COVID. Yeah. And I, I kind of like to understand in a couple of different areas, and we'll, I know we'll tangent a little bit, the massive pivot, how do you steer? Look, look if I got a company of 25 people, I can steer pretty quick. Yeah. You, know, you got 60 plus thousand. Yep. How do you do that from March 19th to April 19th? Just that piece. How you do know, you... it was a... Um... It was a crazy time at Salesforce. I mean, it was a crazy time with everyone, right? But one of the most inspiring things about Salesforce, about our leadership and and Mark Benioff in particular is this ability to really steer the huge tanker in almost like sports car ways, you know? That's a vehicle analogy but it, it's it's really fascinating it, it feels like you're on a, you're on a container ship but you're actually in a speedboat if you see what I mean I, and what we did was in March one of the first things that we decided to do was to help and it was a mandate it was an absolute mandate of helping and um, I used to run marketing for the quick product um, which is our collaboration tool. And um, we decided that we would put a program in place which where we would give Quip free to anyone who wanted it. Uh, customers, non-customers, partners, nonprofits. And because we knew that working from home meant no more water coolers, no more meeting rooms, no more conferences, no more events. And you know, this tool really helped with that. So we had to, in a matter, I think we actually got this done in like a week or two weeks because we had to put all the systems in place that, you know, so all our pesky salespeople, you know, when they saw a contact come in that they didn't call them and try and sell them something, right? So we had to put these programs and these processes in place. And I believe that we did that in one or two weeks. And it was part of the Salesforce care program where we made a number of um, a number of our pieces of technology available for free, and we did that for with with um, for the whole year last year with yeah. uh, Equip, and so that was really the first um, sort of COVID moment for me was just this absolute pivot on just getting technology into people's hands just to help, and then um, it was kind of like okay now we've done that so now we're helping people, but then it was a case of well, how are we thinking about our technology in order to help people like get back to growth, right? Or get back to work. And so it was almost like, okay, help them at home, help them get to back, to back to work. And then where we are now, especially with Sales Cloud, is most CEOs now are looking to sales to save the day, right? To get back to growth. We've got to grow top line revenue um, because that's the only way that many organizations are actually. I, I, I gotta look to marketing. I know I'm not gonna. I know I, I'm not gonna go out on that limb by myself, Carrie. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know that. So now we're now we're in the stage of how can we help, but how can we help get back to growth, not just survive right 2020, but really thrive in 2021. And you know these pivots happen really quickly at Salesforce, and I. And I am so proud that we do this. And we do this on a commercial basis, right? Um, and we make money and we do it on a business is the greatest platform for change. And so we do, we do it in two ways. 
So I, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Benioff fanboy. Um, happy to to admit it. Love reading everything he does, and and I, it's one of these reasons because he, he just gets it right. And and I don't. I, I would love to ask him where he got that part from in his life. What do you think as you look at leadership? One from him, right? And you know, I know about the V two moms, and so I know how you guys are organized, and maybe that's a piece of it. When something like this happens, he does something. He makes an announcement. And it, you know, it clearly motivates you. Yeah. And then you've got to take that and it's going to motivate people below you. Yeah. Meanwhile, every single person's like, holy shit, my family, my kids, my mom, yeah. my dad. Like, how do you, what do you think it is about him, Salesforce, the culture that's like, we're still going to get this done. Yeah. We're not going to just press pause and figure it out, which I think a lot of companies did. They did. And, and, and they needed to. Like, there's nothing, there's no disrespect to that. Nope. What what does he do that inspires you so much that you then can sort of help inspire the people that report into you? So um, I can I can probably speak more to you know my my team, um, but it do, it is a reflection of um, what what is comes down at me, right? Um, I think the biggest thing is trust. Um, I you know trust is our number one value, and we talk about that as far as trust with our customers. And, but I will tell you, um, last year taught me the power of trust in a team and not just trust in me as a leader, but trust in each other. And for me, that was the one thing that I, that I want, that was the end game, right? Now it takes a lot of work to get to that end game, right? You have to have empathy. You have to have understanding. You have to study, like, I studied a lot. Um, what did you, know, you study? What do you um, what around the Black Lives Matter movement, around social unrest, around social injustice, systematic racism, and so it was almost like we had to go back into learning mode as a team in order to get through this in a trusting way. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. I will. I will tell you because again, you know, um, I don't have kids, but you know, my, my, many of my team have children and it was that crazy, like two week period when the schools closed. And I just, you know, it was like, I don't even know how we're going to get back to anywhere near like normal work. And every single one of them did it. Like every single, every single person rallied to each other, they rallied to their families, we learned together, we studied together, and we worked really darn hard at making sure that not only we were good, but our customers were good too. And so it was a, it was an interesting, um, it was, I learned new skills during that time. I want to, I want to come back on the trust. I have, I think I know the answer or at least my interpretation of an answer. What does it mean for you to trust your team? And I know that that starts at the top at your yeah. world of, you know, that, so what does trust mean? So for me, um, trust is really, uh, it's, um, it's never something that I can impose on someone, right? It's not something, it has to become, you have to come to that, trusting relationship together. And it has to be two way, right? It's, it's not enough for me to trust my team if my team doesn't trust me. And so I try and lead with, um, you know, with fast decision making, but with empathy to the people that, that work for me. Um, I also make a commitment. And, you know, I make this commitment every time I, I take on a new team, which is they will have the best roles of their career. And they will have the best career of their lives because what we do as a team sets them up for that. And so I've done a lot of jobs and I've had a lot of positions in marketing, you know, up and down the the hierarchy. And I really want to help other marketers or anyone in the company. It's not just marketers that I mentor, but it's really like, how can I give them the roles that, they know what success looks like. They're invested in that success. We're all marching to the same goal. 
and that they're really loving their job. Like Salesforce is, is it's a pretty busy company. Like a lot goes on every single day. And if you don't love what you do, it's really tough. And so I start from that place. Like how, how do I give everyone the career that they, that they're going to love? Yeah. That, I love that piece. I, I think the one thing that I've, my hardest part as a manager in building trust was letting go. Like I had to yes. let go and not micromanage, even though I didn't think it was micromanaging and I have to let people fail. I would yeah. have to let people have a small budget of something and let them realize they messed it up. And when I had my CEOs prior to me, you know, literally I, it, it's you know i had one ceo who was like well the law says when you're flying on the plane we only have to pay you this much not your regular salary and i'm like well do you want me to do emails on the plane yes well then, then you know like and like that level of there was no trust even though i'd yeah. been there three years and it wasn't that yeah. she didn't trust me she just didn't want to spend money and that yeah. was sort of the, the thought yeah. so I, that to me is a big piece of you know that empowerment you give people Yes. The trust. Right. And I think that's to your point, leading from the heart first. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to let you do this. And if it messes up, we're going to solve it. Yes. You're not going to get fired for like, this is one of the things I love about Salesforce. And I know this yes. is kind of like an all pro sales. You will never get fired for trying something new. Right. If it <laughs> happens 10 times, they might have a different discussion. But, Correct. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you on. like um, quite a while ago when I, got into um, really, really managing like my first team um, in a major way in, in Salesforce. And I, I found it, I tell you, like, I found it hard. I found it hard. And I didn't realize that people management was very different than leadership. And my boss at the time gave me a gift, a really big gift of a lot of feedback. And I made the decision and, um, you know, talk about like when things get tough, that's when I really love them. I got a coach and I, and I, you know, worked on this. Like I worked on leadership as part of my job. And I actually even had a V2 mom for my leadership goals. And so now when I go to new teams, I feel like I have that foundation of being able to lead and do the delegation and, and trust people because, because I've, I've, I've had to learn it. Like it's not, people are not just, they wake up one morning and they're like, oh, look at me, I'm a leader. Like I truly believe that it takes really hard work to get there and you have to set not just goals for the business or goals for the team, like, I really believe that you each, each quarter to set leadership development goals for yourself and figure out a way of getting to them. And they can be really specific actions. Like, it's not, I'm not going to become a completely different person, right, in one quarter. There might be something that I do in my job that I'm like, you know what, if I just hone that part of it, then the team and the business will benefit from it. Yeah, I agree. Like, you got to pick one thing, right? Correct. Say, hey, I want to be a better leader. Like, okay, well, define the leader. Do you want to be better at interviewing? Do you want to be better at coaching? And then, yeah. you know, and I, again, I see another pattern with you is you have a very open mind to recognizing what you don't know and then yeah. seeking to know it, right? Yeah. It's, I think that goes all the way back to your travel. Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I think know. it's going to be fun. Right. To going back, which I think a lot of us did. Um, you know, on, on the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Where we just, I had to go, you know, read and know, unlearn or un, or recognize yep. some things I didn't realize I was doing yep. or, you know, and then I can apply it and move it forward. And I think yep. that's the same piece, but you can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. Right. Like even when we were going back, it's like, well, first I just need to go read all these books. Like I need to go educate myself. Then I can figure out what I'm going to do. Correct. And yeah. So, I mean, Every learning needs an action for sure. And it needs to, you know, like, again, it could be business or personal, but every action, you know, needs to have what does success look like at the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to strive to, to, to get there, not to just, you know, take off the boxes that you've done something like it has to have um, some impact. 
behind it. And that's kind of how I look at these, whether it's, you know, running the business or development plans or even, you know, coaching plans for, for my team. I, I honestly believe if you, if you don't have success metrics for it, then no action plan in the world is going gonna, is gonna to help. Totally agree. Let, let's, again, let's come back to the business. I want to talk more about, so you guys shifted to help mode, right? I think, yep. I think our, our friends at Zoom did the same thing, right? Yep. I think Microsoft tried to do like, you know, yep. like, thank you to everybody who does that. Like that's <laughs> that moment in life where, you know, nobody's the big bad corporation. They really are trying to help. Trying, yep. How did you know, it's a little bit like 9-11. Like I remember after 9-11, you know, it was like, well, when can we tell a joke again? Yeah. How, how did you know when it was okay to sell again in 2020? And are we there yet? Maybe we're not there. Maybe we're sort of at, well, we're 60% of the day there, Richard. Like, you know. Yeah. And um, I think the difference is now, um, I don't know if we'll ever be ready to sell, sell, sell again. I feel like what happened in 2020, we, we developed these listening skills. We listened to our customers and our customers really told us what they needed. And, you know, it was a communication about what they needed in this, in this COVID world. But I think the conversations that we had during that time meant that now we really are in the position of helping. And like I said, you know, I personally believe sort of the, 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 the heroes of the organization are going to be those that can get us back to growth in our organizations. And I think it was like, I believe that the company has, has really become much more consultative and taken that notion of helping, right? And in March last year, it was helping with free software, right? Yeah, it's helping with software that people are gonna buy, but what we've got in the back of our heads is like, how is this gonna help? And it, it's, it's incredible because I've probably spoken to, you know, dozens of, of C-level execs at big, small, medium companies. And every single one of them that is ready for, ready for the next, ready for growth, ready for, ready for the next chapter of their company, is looking at their buyers, right? Not looking at their sellers, but looking at their buyers. And this is the switch that's happened is, I think we're, we're now in helping people buy mode um, rather than selling. Now, if I'm, a, if I'm a commissioned AE, like obviously I'm gonna be selling software, but I think that the tone, the, the, the way that we do that is through really understanding what their needs are, where they are in their journey, right? Some companies are ready. Some companies are still in survival mode. Yep. And so it's really understanding like where they are in their digital transformation journey, where they are in their back to work journey, where they are in terms of their industry, you know, all of these, all of these, um, these variables are going to drive the conversation that we're having with them. Yep. Rather than us going in and saying, hey, Mr. Sa you know, head of sales, I've got this to sell you. What do you think? Right. Not that you know, we would ever do that, but it's more about like, just tell me where you are. Like, tell me your story. Um, and, then, and then we can figure out what the right solution is. But it, I think we've just got back to that natural curiosity, right? That, that says every company is now in a very different phase in this crazy world and digital transformation has accelerated right i think it's 84 percent of sellers say that digital transformation has accelerated like absolutely since last year and they have to they have to recognize that and so what we're looking at doing is just making it easier for i think my job as a marketer and before we even get to sales, my job as a marketer is to figure out how my content can help the buyer, not necessarily help the seller. Yep, 100%. So this make is it easy, like just, you gotta make it easy um, because everything else is really hard right now. I, totally and so we, I wanna jump in here too, because I feel like you've read my sales training book and you haven't, but um, 
and, and you know, this is job security for me. So I want to come back to what you said, where you, you know, everybody's got to sort of talk to, to their, to their potential customers, to their potential customers or their prospects more with more empathy, with more uh, concern. And, and I even say, and I think you've done this is you actually kind of need to talk to your current customers first. Correct. Right? You need to go in and you need to say, and I think this is what you were saying is, what, you know, what did make you buy in 2020? Like you, you bought something for me in July, like, like what, what was so critical that I need to understand it, right? And then the other piece, and I love what you said, and this is how I teach it to salespeople, particularly in prospecting is to say, look, you know, you know hey, Carrie, you know, it's been a crazy year. I just wanna know which one, which bucket are you in? Some of our companies, they're, they're still heads down, you know, yeah. just batting down the hatches. Some of them are still battening down the hatches, but they're starting to sort of peek around the corner and see maybe what they can plan. And others are yeah. facing ahead. You know, so as so as, as I you know try to find new customers for our organization, which one are you? So I don't bug you. Like, like that's the that's kind of the message that needs to get out. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, and it's also um, you know it's those stories of uh, sort of not only the ones that bought last year but the ones that truly took advantage of what they bought previously as well, yep. you know? And again, like it, it's, it's incredible how many of those execs that I've spoken to have changed their business model mm -hmm. in 2020. Like- What did they change? Two, like what are two, three, three, um, two, bi two big ones um, I would say is, uh, First, they've actually made the, the move to continuing with the virtual selling world, right? A lot of organizations have said, I'm all in. But the biggest thing I've seen from a business perspective is um, looking at companies, you know, traditional manufacturing or construction companies. And what, what they want to do is they, they're actually a lot of them want subscription services, right? They don't want to be the one and done, sell them something and never get any money from them again, you know, maybe some maintenance revenue. And so a lot of organizations are actually looking at changing their business model from a, you know, upfront purchase to a subscription purchase. And that takes a, I mean, that takes a lot of technology and, you know, coming from the finance world, just on the finance side alone, like you can't do that in a spreadsheet. You yep. can't change a business model in a spreadsheet. You can't change it in, you know, I would say you can't even change it in on-premise software, right? Because you got to be nimble at that point. And I've seen whole organizations, massive companies who have decided in 2020, <laughs> that was the year they were going to change their business model because that's the time to change, right? When you're in crisis mode, look to do something different, even though it seems like the craziest time to try something different. Totally. It's actually the best time because th that something different is driving you now. Like yep. this is not a, ooh, let's maybe think about subscription services or recurring revenue. It's like, oh, this is what our buyers want now. And so therefore we have to like sell them in, to, in, in the way that they want to buy. Yep. So, so wanna, that's been the biggest thing. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to, I love this. Like, this is fantastic. I could, you and I could have a conversation about this. I know. Half, right. Like next, next time we can travel, you let me know the, the crazy place you're going. I'll, I'll, I'll come meet you for a cocktail. <laughs> Great. So. I might have I might have my wife and a, and a ten and twelve year old in tow, but you know. No problem. I will uh, travel with others. <laughs> uh, you know, and I love what you said too. Is like as the marketer, you know, I, I'm going to interpret it this way: is that we have to figure out a, a better way to talk about the pains we solve for our correct than we do sort of the beauty of what we do, right? Yeah. And there, that's always been for me. That's always been the disconnect in traditional sales marketing world. Is like oftentimes marketing has to paint a pretty picture, which is great. Sales has to paint this really painful picture. Like, you know, you got a broken arm, right? And yeah. how do you do that co cohesively together in a positive way, I think is the piece. So I want to, I want to move forward, right? So you talked about what happened last year. You talked about where you sort of got to and how the empathy is driving it, right? More active listening, 
asking better questions, all these, all these, you know, things that, that make it better. Where are we headed? What do you think, what, you know, with what you could say and are allowed to say, where's Salesforce, how is Salesforce looking at 2021 or, or better yet, what advice would you give the companies looking at 2021? And then even in 2022, like you guys have this great ability as an award because you're so big, you can, you know, it's January 26th and, you know, yeah, we can have a 2022 discussion. There's no big deal. Like we should. <laughs> what advice do you give to people as they think about their 2021 initiatives and 2022? Yeah, so I kind of think of it in, um, in three main buckets. Number one is about your reps, right? The individual contributor, the guy, you know, the equivalent of me in the dark room reconciling spreadsheets when I was an accountant, right? How do we put new systems and processes in place that we can not just coach them as well as we did when we got them in sales kickoff for two weeks and they were, you know, tied to a chair um, every day. How do we actually coach our salespeople in this new world? Like, I really think that we need to start thinking less about the sales management, um, what they need to to be trained on and much more on the individual reps because now they really are individual reps, right? Even if we say, okay, we're going back to, we're going back to work tomorrow. I think what this is, what this has done is said, hey, we need to coach all the time, right? We don't need, to, we don't necessarily need like this one big sit in a room kickoff how do we actually put technology in place where we can do this one-to-one -one coaching, where we can actually use technology to, 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 uh, to provide what are the next steps for you in this deal? Why does this deal look different than another deal? And for us to automate that, but then also put, put technology in a way that managers can do that with their, with their AEs. I think that's the first thing is kind of getting back to the grassroots of what our what our sales, what our sellers need. Right. That, that's, I mean, that's the beauty. Again, that for me, that is, you know, that's job security because that's what I yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, then, you know, I call I, it, I call it teaching people how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Like that's the yes. simplest explanation I can come up with. Um, and then the second thing is, I think um, it's all about the processes in place. And, and again, this kind of solidified, as I said, when I was talking to, um, a lot of senior sales ops people, right? Um, we had a state of sales report come out, gosh, I think it was in the summer, maybe the spring. Yeah. And um, uh, one of the things that came, that sort of struck me on that is, I think it was like 70% of sales leaders uh, recognize that sales operations is gonna be the most strategic role. And, you know, like I said, it's really hard to put this in place in finance. Those processes and those new ways of doing business are really falling on both sales operations and what we're finding sort of this new group of people, which is revenue operations. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of automation of processes and being able to build new processes like lightning quick, I think is really, is gonna be really important because just as Salesforce pivots, these big organizations are pivoting now, these 200 year old manufacturing companies, they're pivoting and they're doing it like rapidly. Um, so I think that's the, the one thing. And then the, the final thing is, which I touched on before was just the relationship between buyers and sellers. And when I say sellers, I mean all of us, right, who are selling, like whether it's marketing or even consulting or CSG or whoever it is. It's like the relationship between you and the person who's at the other end of a computer and not at dinner with you in, you know, Morimoto's. Um, that's going to be like crucial is those relationships. Yeah, I, I think I, those, those three things. I completely agree. And I, I think that's where we're headed. Um, I mean, it's always been about the process, right? If, you, if you're not adjusting your process, you know, you're, you're not doing something. You die. Yeah, it's right? just, yep. So, sure. the, you know, the best, the best, you know, artists in the world and athletes, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't, a band doesn't put out the same sounding album every time, right? Like Queen is the, the, the queen and king of that. Yeah. <laughs> there was no sound for them. And I'm not just saying that because I love the movie. Um, 
I'm curious, you know, do you, do you guys even look, well, let, let me, I have two questions. One is, as you talk about what you just said, right? You talk about it in this big picture. You know, a lot of your, a lot of your customers are 50 employee companies, 100 employee companies, 200, you know, mid-markets, SMBs. They don't necessarily have the resources. Yeah. What, what kind of things would you encourage them to think about as it relates to what kind of process to adjust? Right. They can't all go out and hire three sales ops people and a revenue yeah. ops team and a CRO and then you know you're off to the races, right? Yeah. Where would you encourage someone to start? I think it all depends. To me, it all depends on the on the business model, right? And so, you know, small companies uh, they might have um, purely an inbound sales uh, uh, sales motion, right? So. It's basically people catching leads from web forms and, and you know, driving those conversations that way. And so I think that, that figuring out what, you, the, what your business process is, who your end customer is, and what, what are the key pieces of technology and the key hires um, that you need at that particular phase of your, of your growth journey like what are, what are the what's the what's the key process and actually look at the technology for that key process because yep. I think very often um, you know we get into this oh my gosh I've got to change my change everything in my organization and I feel like this whole notion of figuring out from a business model down to then what's the technology I need who do I need in the organization you know there's there's I I when you speak to CEOs like. They might have a. Uh, they might want to be the a PR darling, right? They don't. They don't really care about revenue. They're at that stage where they care about PR. Well, then you got to get good marketing processes in place, right? Yep. Um, so I think it depends. What's the strategy? What's the business model? And then what's that key piece of technology that you need, not only for today, but for the future? Yep. And so I think that's the that's the drive is okay, don't band-aid it. Like think about what your vitamins and your medicine is going to be. And so you won't have to stick a band-aid on it, you know, when, when you get a boo-boo. Yeah. I, I sort of subscribe that to, you know, stage appropriate decisions, right? Where are you in your stage? Right. And I often, particularly the, the SMBs in the mid market, pick up the phone and ask for some advice. Yeah. Right? Well, like, actually that's what, that's the, the, the incredible part of the of our community, right, of our trailblazer community, is the coming together of yeah. those people independently of Salesforce. And that was the, you know, that's the what we what we didn't get this year physically with Dreamforce. But you know, I I have a ton of friends who are customers who run their local communities, right? They're doing all sorts of like, oh yeah crazy things now to yep. keep those communities together. And we don't, we, we resource them when they need our resources, but we don't sell in those. We don't even consult in those. Like they literally, it's peer to peer and you're, you're absolutely right. Like pick up the phone and ask, ask your friend, you know? Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to preface this. I should have told you before we started, but I'm, I'm going to give a quick announcement, but while I do that, I want you to think about this. Um, What's the, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to ask, right? And, and if you don't need advice from me, which is fair, because you've got a lot of experience, is there a cause or something you'd like to promote um, to just, you know, much like you, we want to always give it back. But before you answer that question, I'll give you a second. Yes. Um, want to give everybody a, a shout out over at Vidyard to Lead411, to Wingman, and of course, Salesforce Revenue Cloud for always sponsoring the, the, the podcast and different things we do. If you are trying to go and grow your org or you're not sure where to go, um, every single one of these organizations has resources. Everyone will have someone that you could talk to about how you could better leverage, you know, Salesforce. How do I better do this, right? Like, don't think that Salesforce is going to always pick up the phone and try and sell you one more thing. They <laughs> really will. I need some best practices, right? And then they value that. So I want to make sure people know it. So now it's our last question before we have to go. So is there anything you'd like to ask about? Is there is there something you want to promote, um, a cause or something? So um, I'll promote my cause first, um, just so I get it in on the time. So 
One of the most amazing things that happened to me, I think it was 2019, was um, I've worked with an organization called the San Francisco AIDS Foundation for probably the 20 years that I've lived in in the US. And um, I was asked to be on their board uh, in 2019. And it, it was probably one of my proudest moments um, awesome. to get on that board. I, I, it's a joy. And what's especially a joy is um, I'm actually part of the finance committee <laughs> for that organization. Funny how so that I, happens, right? How ironic. <laughs> so, um, but it, it, it became that organization because the, the, the mission of that organization is health justice. And if, if anything that we've learned is that we have no health justice in, in this country, it. right? And so it just was, I mean, it's always been an incredible organization, but two years ago, they changed their mission um, to this notion around health justice. And I'm like, it was inspirational. Yeah, you know, I got it. Yep. So that's my, that's my cause, um, is that. And then I guess the, uh, I don't know, one question is, what have I missed? <laughs> like I've, I've told you a lot about yeah. what we're doing at Salesforce. Like, what, what have we, what are we not, what is well, the- I think there's, there's a couple of things. Um, I, and we didn't get into it because we just sort of ran out of time. And, you know, I would love to hear your perspectives on um, being a woman growing up the last hmm. 20 years into this kind of career. There's been a tremendous shift, you know, um, the last three years, obviously. Uh, I know that that Benioff and I know that Mark, you know, made a big announcement, I want to say either last year or two years ago about equity pay. Yeah, it was a while ago, actually. Yeah. Was it? Yes. Years ago. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, I, I would have loved to have heard those experiences because I know it, it, we don't ever get enough time to well, sometimes we didn't get enough time today to sort of talk to the other women in the audience or someone who is not a white male. doesn't have yeah. to be men and women, right? It can, it can be age, it could be race, it could be gender dynamics, it could be, you know, all gender identity. So that's the one thing I feel like we missed, but we didn't get there. So it's not yeah. on you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Carrie's fault. Like, Carrie, how come you didn't take the conversation there? Hello. And and I could, that could be a whole other podcast where yeah, I, I promise you that. I, I, and, and we like to have those conversations. We're not afraid to talk about it. Um, and, and it's. A change know, comes. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you back again. And, and hopefully Scott and his family are doing better and, and we can have you with them. But yes. But Carrie, thank you so much. Oh, thank so you. Much. This has been probably one of the funnest interviews that I've had so oh, this has been great thank you thank you for letting me talk about myself because um that's <laughs> it's, it's a sales tactic Carrie yeah, <laughs> oh you're listening to your buyers huh yeah I gotta listen to my buyers thanks Carrie we, all we, right we... thank you thank you